Welcome to the Forward Together podcast. Um, Jared Dean, I work for Hollywood Trust. This is our podcast and joined as always by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. How are you? I'm grand as ever, Gerard. And you? Hi, dead on. Hi, dead on. Really enjoying or enjoyed listening to our interviewee today, um, who is Kula Yasuma, the Northern Ireland Commissioner for Children and Young People. A really interesting conversation, Paul. Interesting lady. Yeah, she is, and not someone that we've interviewed before, uh, and I think probably we should have done, because she made some really interesting observations, a uh, very strong woman, uh, very assertive for children's and young people's rights, as she should be, mm-hmm. and made some very interesting observations about the state of Northern Ireland society today. Yeah, I do, and it's on rights, I think, the, the first point that she makes is really, really important. I love the phrase that she used where she said, we should see children as human be- human beings, not human becomings, and treat them for the people that they are right now. And at, this has to be, we have to take a rights-based approach to dealing with The other thing that I really enjoyed, Jared, was Kula's focus on the fact that once children are in school, a lot of their development has already taken place. We can't mm. leave just to schools to sort out problems we need to support parents and children need to be supported before the age by which they go into school i think that's a really important point to make yeah it was interesting too she talked about maybe extending the age at which we start school they maybe align us more with the eu so it's uh, the age of six rather than the age of as she described her own child four years and two months old that's right. And we're both parents, of course, Gerard. So we've gone mm. through this. I mean, on the one hand, you don't want children to go in at too young an age and feel overstretched, overformalized. On the other hand, you want them to be socialized. You want them to be used to being with other people, to learn and to be able to play from an early age. And one of the problems we've got in our society is that for a lot of people, it's not possible for their children to get to affordable and available childcare from an early age to avail about. So it it sort of reinforces the class structure in our society from a very, very early age. Yeah. And and she talked about delivering services where children are. Um, You you know, that's where things should be focused. And it was really interesting. And I know we're jumping ahead to talk about slightly older children here, but just how segregated the society is. The figure that she she quoted about the, the extra miles that second-level pupils are travelling, they sustain the segregated system here is incredible. I think it's 130 million miles a year extra. That's nuts. And, and of course, if you don't support the segregation of society, then actually that also comes at an environmental cost. Because mm. for myself, my children at primary school went to an integrated school, And that meant significant journey distances because it wasn't the local school. So your choice, you've given a choice, then you either support the local school or you support an integrated school. But without all schools being integrated, it creates an additional environmental pain. Yeah. Look, let's hear from uh, Kula and I and the conversation. Okay. well, thank you very much for doing this. So the purpose behind this is it's the third series of these Hollywood Trust podcasts, which look at how we make Northern Ireland a better place. And because it's the third series, it's drawing on the ideas that came through in some of the previous series. So ideas about how we make things better. But uh, I mean, it's obviously very useful indeed to have you 
on this interview, not least because of the, the riots that have taken place in recent weeks, because clearly everyone agrees that we need to make Northern Ireland a better place for young people. And where there's a disagreement is how we do that and, and yeah. the process. Uh, and I think there's, there's general acceptance as well that the focus needs to begin in early years engagement. Uh, it's not simply enough to improve schooling. We actually have to do things to support parents, to support yeah. kids at an earliest age possible. I mean, so, so how should we be doing this, do you think, Kula? Um. Well, that's that's huge. So obviously, being Children's Commissioner, I would say that um, you need to take a rights-based approach. So, and, and if you do that, then you see children, infants, children, young people as active participants, regardless of age. You see them as citizens. You see them as human beings and not human becomings. So this this talk about children are our future, is absolutely right. Of course they are. But we're not moulding them to become something only. No, they are they are something in the here and now. So it's, it's not about perpetuating our legacy. It's about allowing them to create their own and, and enabling them to do that. So this idea of what is in the best interests of a child, I suppose, is, is what we then want to focus on. And the the understanding that it's a child and not children. Sometimes we we try to take broad brush, uh, and of course we should because it's easier that way. But when we talk about children's rights, we talk about the rights of the child because each children experience it differently. Each children are born in circumstances that are, that, that differ. So my children will, will experience their rights differently to a child next door, let alone a child on the Kilcooley estate, which is where where I, I live in Bangor. So I. I suppose it's about not seeing children as a burden, not not holding our breath until, so that we can get them to 18, but in 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 you know in the in airy fairy land, just seeing them as um, something that in the here and now, and 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 people who are deserving of rights of services and uh, and of our protection uh, in, in the here and now. So so. What that looks like is obviously it looks like proper investment. It looks like being evidence-based. In the early years, it, it looks like support, very much supporting families or the environment in which they live, recognising that families aren't always mum and dad. It, it is whatever that environment is. Um, but making sure that the, 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 the system that the child lives in is supportive and um, is able to help them flourish and become the best they can be and be the best they can be. And that includes poverty. That includes not, not, not thinking we just need to have people just about managing, that we need to understand that when we talk about poverty, when we talk about welfare and social security, we're actually talking about kids. We're actually saying if, we're not, if we don't allow, enable kids to live way above the poverty line, then we're immediately marking them out as different. We're immediately giving them less than and, and have thwarted their opportunities and have restricted their ability to reach their own potential. So, and we do that from a very, very young age to our children. You know, we, we tell the poor, people who live in poverty and social disadvantage, just make do. Um, and we don't think child, you know, only recently, that's the one thing, the one thing that's come out of this pandemic is we've seen children 
as part of that poverty conversation in its in 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 its practical way you know um so you, you would have had the bleeding heart liberals talk like me talking about poverty for years and saying child poverty is a thing that has to be addressed but it was always about you know uh, pull up your bootstraps and go out to work if you want to if you want money you need to work not understanding that by punishing people for not working by punishing people for being poor we were also punishing their children and restricting their circumstances and that has to be redressed so i don't have one solution paul i wish i did um i mean i do i have one solution which is implement the children's rights put children's rights at the center and make sure that everything we do is think child and how will this impact on their rights but um, so that would be, if you like, our underlying principles. So I want good, good, uh, good childcare. I want good preschool. I, I don't want a differentiation between children in school between children who are poor and disadvantaged people, people who are other, whatever other it means, because every single child is other, um, and, and children who are mainstream um, in, in, in inverted commas. So I, I, I want children to be valued for who they are, and I don't want there to be any barriers to prevent that happening. What what practically does that mean, uh, Kula, in terms of the preschool provision that should be available and to what extent is it? I mean, and also, of course, ideally, um, and more than ideally, we want children to experience beyond their immediate neighbourhoods preschool. We don't want people uh, at an earliest age possible to be indoctrinated into the sectarian divide, do we? No, we don't. But we don't want children to have to travel for miles to get a basic service either. So I am, and I'm, I'm on record <coughs> as saying, uh, uh, children should be educated together. Uh, boys, girls, uh, Catholic, Protestant, um, uh, disabled, non-disabled, whatever. I am, I am you know, on record. I absolutely agree with that. And obviously, academically able and those perceived not to be academically able. Um, the, the issue is that, um, you know, a piece of work from the University of Oxford talks about the 130 million miles that post-primary, extra miles that post-primary children travel in order to um, uh, maintain our segregated systems. Um, the, the, so the issue is, do we, do we, we absolutely have to have children educated together, but we also need to have them living together as well. So I've always said your nearest school should be your best school. Um, now that, that obviously resolves the issues of grammar and non-grammar and things like that. It doesn't necessarily resolve the issues of, of controlled and maintained because uh, of, of communities. So whilst I'm, I think it's right in the short term for children maybe to, be, to, to have to travel a little bit if we, if we go to a fully shared integrated system, integrated system um, we need to remember that we're not going to fix Northern Ireland by educating our children together. And I that frustrates me quite a lot. The future will be fine if, if, if only we got we could get our kids to get on better. That, that, that is not the case because we are we, we do things for our children and then we then but we have the adult system and all our structures and processes are bobbing along in the in their same way using the same narrative that they've always used. So stop putting the burden of adult problems on children. They're part of the solution, but they're not the, you know, they, they're part arriving at the solution, but they're not the only, um, it can't just be about them. It has to be about the rest of us as well. Anyway, that's not the question you asked me. The question no, you asked to, I mean, to go back, what, I mean, to what extent are we providing the preschool support that we should be? 
We're not. We're not providing. We, we don't have sufficiently good childcare in Northern Ireland. We don't have a sufficiently affordable childcare in Northern Ireland. So that you know, the thirty hours I have across the water is, is, is as long as it's thirty hours of good quality childcare that parents that makes parents comfortable. So we absolutely, absolutely have to get that sorted. You know, is it? I mean, I'm. I also think do we send children to school too young, far too young. We should be looking at age six, six to seven, as they do on the continent. So that 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 what we call preschool, so three, three um, at, at, at to six, should be about social skills, should be about confidence, should be about self-esteem, should be about you know um, uh, understanding how to engage with others, all those things. So good early years, um, but that also says to families and parents, what is it you need? How can we support? How can we help? Do you need any help? You know, often parents are best left uh, getting on with it. Um, is is really important for parents who are struggling, parents who 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 are have mental health issues and, and so on. You know, we need to have an open an open conversation with them about what they need and respond to them accordingly. Um, so all those things need to happen, and and unfortunately they happen in a very piecemeal way. Um, but the the other thing is that if we do that. If we do that in the early years, then when they, they need to go into an education system that's able to continue that and not shut it down because it then becomes about learning, uh, about academia, which is, it, that's why I sent, my kids to, I sent my kids to school so that they could, they could learn things. I also sent them to school so they could come out as more rounded human beings and for the school to make up for, for my crap parenting. Um, but so... But that sometimes that does that doesn't happen in some schools in Northern Ireland. What happens? It all, it all becomes about a test here or a subject there, and and we don't follow through on nourishing the whole child and on developing the whole child. Um, and I'm not just talking about mental health and well-being pro- projects and processes. And of course, they're important. I'm talking about drama. I'm talking about sport. I'm talking about music, and I'm talking about just enabling a child to express themselves and, and, and making that okay. So we need good early years, affordable early years, um, accessible early years, but we need the early years to be a little bit longer than they are. Because sending a kid to school at four years and two months is far too young, as I did with my eldest, is far too young. Now, she flew through school, but I was reminded constantly by teachers that she was she was not the norm that children um, who go to school so young you can often tell that they're struggling um so there's a lot to be done there's a lot to be done but you've also touched on another important point there Kula, which is that it feels to me as a parent as if quite often within the schooling system the culture is to get the children to conform rather than to help them to learn to be themselves and be confident yeah. in themselves. I mean, how do we change that culture? And of course, it's not a culture that's across all schools, but it does no, feel as if it's there in some schools. It's not across all teachers, uh, or, you know, so, and, and I genuinely think schools and school staff, teachers, classroom assistants, and everyone want, want children to be the best they can be. But they also want to prepare them for a world that it can be quite horrible at times. So you can understand why they're saying you need to be a bit like, a bit more like this. You need to get this. You need to do it that way. So it is that it is that balance, Paul. Because um, I absolutely want children to survive the world, but the world's not not always great. So we want them to change it as well. So it is about how do we support children to be true to themselves, true to who they are, 
true to their own aspirations um, and, and make sure they have the values uh, and aspirations that mean that they can respect and, and be compassionate to, to others too, but also be able to navigate the world as they, as they work to change it. So it's quite a tall ask. We're asking of schools, but sometimes our concentration, and, and we've seen it in the restart um, coming back, um, our concentration on academic success sometimes puts all that on the back burner. And sometimes so far, that back burner is so far away from reality that they never get around to it. And that's that's the heartbreaking thing. It, you know, it is the kid who, who you know, I love going into schools and going into the assembly and all the, all the young people are brilliant. They're all, all of them are brilliant. But you see the one with the pink hair in the back who snarls at you? They're the one I want to talk to because I think, um, and actually they won't give me the time of day because I'm just not calling enough for them. But you just, you that individualism is just a fabulous thing. But too many people, including parents are frightened for their child who's the individual and because and, they, they don't want them to suffer in this cruel world sometimes so it is how we make it okay for every single child to be themselves and to be individual whether that means they dress up the same as everybody else or whether that means that they, they don't um it's it's that it's a positive choice that they have made rather than a choice that they have made born out of survival um, that's not. I'm, I'm not being very practical here, am I? I'm but not I mean, the, the, so, I mean, solutions. Well, I mean, but it, it's the point, is of course, isn't it? With all things, that it's the culture that is the most difficult thing to change, rather than structures. I mean, but structurally, Absolutely. how else should schools change? So I think schools, um, and and I genuinely think this uh, fundamental review of independent fundamental review of education could be our our way forward. So as what I've said, the nearest school should be the best school. It should it should be able to educate all children. We shouldn't have uh, we shouldn't be so and and it should be a, a you know an, an open curriculum that that of course does academic academic subject, but that that also enables children to have their voice and to be part of to be listened to around what's going on. So we are looking at one education system in Northern Ireland, not the six or seven that we have currently. Our, our primary schools are not bad, to be fair, Paul. They're not bad at all. Um, as, as, you know, systems, you know, they, they I think they do the best, children's voices and children's participation. They have that space to be able to be broader in, in, in their curriculum and what have you. They need proper funding to be able to do that. There's a fundamental issue. They need more services to be able to... Um, uh, uh, meet the additional needs that children bring earlier on rather than waiting until they get onto some list and, and then services are bought in by then it's uh, by then the children have been waiting too long our, it's our post-primary post system that needs a fundamental review um, investment and we need not to have this idea of what that a good school is a school um, that, that where your child that gets 10 a stars which where most children get 10 a stars 10 a stars are fabulous if my kids got 10 a stars i would be so happy but that can't be the only measure of success and and the biggest and, problem seems to be working class boys in the early years of post-primary education am i right the bit well the biggest problem is yeah is working class boys is is also um children from the traveller community it's also children who who are care experienced 
So, but it's because at age 11, one of the reasons is, that, and there are very, there are many, many reasons, particularly around working class uh, boys, um, why, why we think that, you know, why they think that is. But what, but because at age 11, we tell some children, you're good enough, you're not good enough. You, 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 not, not that you're consigning them because the schools they go to are fabulous and work really, really hard, but you've sent them a very clear message. You will, you, you, we just narrowed what we think you can achieve. At age 11, seriously. So there is something we absolutely need to focus on, on, um, on making sure every single child meets their potential. Um, it can't be right that because you're a boy and because you come from a particular community. And, and if you look at areas like the Shankill, where um, educational, you know, very not that many go to, to grammar schools and educational attainment has been historically low. There are, re you know, that can't be right. It can't be right that just because you were born on the Shankill, um, that you're you're not academically bright. I've met people from the Shankill; they could buy and sell me, and I, you know, and that, and I just don't. I, 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 so there are systemic issues, and um, education can't fix them all. Paul, there's no way it can. Um, but nor so this idea that grammar schools will elevate and lift all boats. The evidence is true; it's clear that they won't. They're, they're fabulous places for the children who attend them, but the rest of the kids. Are, are are going to, uh, are being told they're not good enough, and those schools who work incredibly hard, incredibly creatively, um, are being sapped of resources because grammar schools are filling up, and the, and the, and all the vacancies and and the voids are in our non-selective system. Um, so we need to build confidence of parents that the an all-inclusive education system will not actually be a detriment to those kids who currently are academically able and can get into grammar schools, but actually will mean that the gap, the gap will, will close this way, that those other kids will catch up, that not, it won't be a meeting in the middle. It'll be a, a lifting, a lifting up of everybody. So I, I actually think um, we have an, over two billion pounds a year spent on education no one, no one, and I've been asking this question for six years, no one can actually evidence me that every single pound, shilling and pence is spent as efficiently and effectively as possible. There is no evidence that our system is efficient. And that can't be right. That can't be right. So we definitely could do this differently and spend the money more wisely. There's a very important point which you touched on there just now, Kula, which is about the selective system and the selective schools. In fact, some of the grammar schools have effectively become non-selective because oh, their intake is the same as the pupil applications. So that yeah. so you've got grammar schools that are effectively non-selective. So it's, it's selection by aspiration. So how does one build the aspiration of parents and pupils that they want to achieve more? Because that comes down the previous podcast series have suggested often to the role models within societies, because if the role model is a paramilitary leader and you're influenced by uh, that way by the time you're in early teens or even earlier, what do you do? How do you break out of that cycle? You see, I think, I think, that, I think that's right. I think there are community role models, um, and I think particularly young men who th who look around and say, who's got the biggest car? Um, I, I, I obviously don't subscribe to this view that they're paramilitary leaders, they're criminal gangs, but 
Um, they look around, and this is, you know, who, who's got the fastest car? Who commands the, the most respect? And what is it? What, what bit of that is achievable for me? Um, and uh, and so you're going to go. I want to be like him uh, because I can't actually be like the doctor, the lawyer, uh, the teacher in my community because you know I just uh, I can't concentrate. I'm no good at school. So I but I can be like him, and I can. Uh, uh, that's what I'm not. Spy may not be the word, but you know that may be more achievable for me. So it is about how we we not we we flip that over by actually. Um, making sure that these people um, who commit crime in our communities actually literally do the time uh, because I don't want to actually go to jail. That's not what was for me, but I'm seeing that no one's sending this person to jail. Um, and it's not that these kids are criminal. It's that we have limited their, their aspirations. Um, they, um, but the, the other thing is what, what is, what are our broader uh, role models? So the Marcus Rashfords of this world. So yes, uh, um, if Marcus Rashford played for Arsenal, but yes, everybody wants to be like Marcus Rashford, but not everybody can be like Marcus Rashford. So um, there's there's the one extraordinary football player in in however many hundreds of thousands of children. It's the backup plan. Um, I would never say to somebody, no, you can't be a Premiership footballer. But what I would say is belts and braces. Do your football, but uh, uh, what else is it that's available to you? What else might you do? Because not only if you are as good as um, Marcus Rashford and you have the heart of a lion like Marcus Rashford, if you fall and break your leg tomorrow. So is that backup plan? I don't. I never want to say don't follow your dream, but I, I do want to say have a backup plan for your dream. And it's our ability to allow, to enable children to follow the dream. But also to say to parents, there is an alternative that will work for your kids. <clears throat> and that's what the debate isn't doing. You know, I can't tell the amount of times that I've had the conversation with parents going, oh, God, that selection test isn't fair. It's not fair, is it? And, and I would say, no, it's not fair. But, you know, there's no alternative. There's no alternative. So I'm just going to have to put my child through. Um, and so what we need to do is have that conversation and say there is an alternative. And here's the evidence for the alternative. And what do you think about that? And how can we move that forward? There is enormous support amongst parents because they don't know what is different. And because we've we've told them that academic selection is the great leveler. The evidence is telling us that's not the case. So we do need that community, which is why I'm saying I have great hopes for the fundamental review that the minister uh, is progressing, uh, coming out of a new decade, new approach. We absolutely have to have that in Northern Ireland. We need to bring people with us, people like me, who think we have the answers. If if I turn around and there's only the usual suspects with me, or, or I'm following them, then that's no good. That's no good. I need. We need to make sure we have we have everyone on with us, and we need to be able to have those conversations and, to, and for our beliefs and values and our statements to stand up to that scrutiny and to be able to, to, to stand behind them. Um, again, like I said, I'm sorry, this is, like I said, very woolly and aspirational and all pie in the sky, but, well, but I suppose I, 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 as Children's Commissioner, what I want is to see how children's rights can become a reality by making them the frame uh, by which we do our work.
Well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about strength and engagement with young people in a moment. But before we do that, I just would like to throw in my thoughts about the fact that I share your passion about the 11 plus as someone who failed 11 plus. And in a sense, I think when you're talking about a backup plan, that's an important point because for many pupils, having not got through the selective system, becoming a professional yeah. footballer was the backup plan. And then it's like a double kick in the teeth when not only did you not get into a grammar school, but also you didn't become a professional footballer. So the question yeah. is, how do you engage in particular boys? Because at least where I am in Derry, the, 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 the non-selective girls schools are absolutely excellent and do really good service for the, the girls and the girls remain committed for the most part and, and have really good outcomes. But how do, how do you have a process of engagement with working class boys to actually help them develop and bring them through into adulthood? And, and I, you, you, you talk to them and you find out what, what is that spark for, for them. So actually, you know, some of the schools in Derry are, are doing fabulous. So there's a school in Derry, um, Miss Neil, who's now got a partnership with a, with a, a premiership football club. Um, and, uh, you know, so they're using that, presumably they're using that as a hook to get their boys. They're also, they're, it's also about, um, yeah, like I said, sparking, sparking the boys. And, and I don't want to hold girls back because girls are work really hard to get to, to where they are. So it is about how we can say this is for you as well. But also understanding um, where the career opportunities are for boys. You know, it's all this thing about deindustrialization. As our community across across the UK and Ireland has deindustrialized, then the apprenticeships and the jobs that people like my husband could have walked into in the 60s and 70s have gone. You know, you can't just walk in and take your pick as a 16 or 70 year old or, or apprenticeship or, or job in the factory or or, or wherever that they've gone. So it's about it's about sending the message um, from through our parents and through our society that they're, they're, the education, not, not to say is, is the golden ticket, but can be the, the ticket. And that education isn't just about university, but if you want to go to university, it's there for you, but it's about so many other things, which is again, going back to my point about education being more than just academic subjects. So it is about what is it that makes boys click? And viva la difference. I don't want boys and girls to be the same or, or if, you, if, if young people don't identify as either, they're not the same. You know, you, 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 so it is about saying what, what interests you. And, and, the, and the other thing is not, they're not trying the one thing and saying, well, he wasn't interested in that. So that's, this really annoys me. This one size. Well, we have an alternative program and they didn't like it. So what, what will we do? Well, why, you know, he... he Try that you should have a range of, of things. You, you should also say, you know, be, be guided by what sparks for those for those boys. So I'd be re I'll be really interested to see how, for example, the Leeds United partnership with Liz Neil works out in Derry. You know, um, some of the uh, other sporting partnerships, other schools have got will will work out. But it is about saying to boys, this is for you too. And how can we make this work for you and, and understanding where boys are coming from and not giving up. Never, ever, ever give up on a child. Um, never label, never label, oh, kids are stropping, we get, actually I label all the time, but never use that 
to close the door to a child's possibilities um, and letting them know that whatever they push back, that the you're there with them you're there with them and for them and 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 will um stay with them uh until you know uh time runs out and i think you're right that uh, liz neil college is is uh, a, a really excellent case study in the turnaround of a school and if anyone's un- listening to this who's unaware of the experience of liz neil it is actually something that that others uh, can perhaps look at um before we go, uh, Akula, the other thing that comes from this is that school is not simply the only experience that teenagers have. And the other question is how broad a society can engage with teenagers as they evolve through adulthood and how we can both democratically engage, how can we can strengthen their community engagement. What are your thoughts about that? Okay. So teenagers are quite the most infuriating section of our society because they know everything. They think they know everything and they don't listen to you. So um, and that makes them just this bundle of potential and dynamism. So there are so I think uh, we definitely should consider lowering the voting age to 16. Um, I think we're seeing it uh, during the elections in Wales and Scotland, and and that's definitely going to change the demographics. Because at the moment, our under-18s are seen as irrelevant to the big picture political discourse. So, um, and actually, anyone who's spent time talking to a teenager with all their infuriation and and their arrogance and and all that wonderful, wonderful um, potential that they have, know that they're actually, they're they're very thoughtful. Many of them are so thoughtful about this place and and what, what, what way we should go forward in this place. The, the thing is that what we have done, and I've been thinking about this a lot, about Northern Ireland going forward and legacy and all the rest of it, we are, bit, we are trying, including me, to shoehorn children into those conversations around legacy and the conversations around the shared future instead of adapting the conversations, adapting the, the, the bodies to, to, to work directly with children and to have those children, because today's children are also the children of the Troubles. They haven't experienced them in the same way um, the adults and particularly older adults have, and, and, and I'm thankful for that, but they are feeling its impact. And, and the rioting on our streets is used as an excuse to destabilise our community because it's used because of, the, of our history and Northern Ireland's history. Um, and we need to name it for what it is. And we need to understand that we need to protect our children and our teenagers in that discourse, that they are pawns and they are being coerced um, uh, and encouraged <coughs> to take part in those sorts of activities. Um, but, and that is in the absence of us having a conversation with them about what that what that means. What, what does it mean? Um, and why are we so angry about the fact that policing feels unfair and feels discriminatory. Why is the <coughs> the border, either north and south or, or, or in the Irish Sea, why does it hurt so much, to, it, it, even if, it's, if we overcome the difficulties with trade, why does that hurt so much? Um, and, and as somebody from Cyprus, my family are from Cyprus, I, I, you know, I feel that visceral pain when people talk about our border in Cyprus, and and I've never lived there. You know, I'm second generation from London, 
But I honestly, that pain, that hurt for me is is really real. And um, and we that so young people experience the pain in their communities, but they don't necessarily understand it or rush or, or able to rationalize it. But they 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 have it. And we those conversations that, that um, have to be done in a safe way across our schools, but also in our society and um, politics needs to become more relevant for our children and for our young people, not because they're soon to be voters, but because it's about their lives too. And um, and I always caution about discourse and language because what we're doing is we sometimes are giving permission to other for others to manipulate those who are more vulnerable in their community. So um, children are active participants. Having a vote, having and one of my favourite saying is no vote doesn't mean no voice. And I'm very excited about things like the Northern Ireland Youth Assembly. I actually think it's going to be a fabulous thing if it goes to plan. Um, and but in every on every street corner, children and young people should have their voice because they are they are our citizens of today as well as the future. Uh, but you mentioned legacy there, and although that was a nice way to finish the conversation, I do want yeah. to pick up one point you said there about the legacy of the troubles and whether we need to re-examine the history of the troubles in, in one respect, which is there were lots of young teenagers who were recruited by paramilitaries and that's become part of the narrative of the heroic struggle as seen within the troubles and whether that's something that should be re-examined because it wasn't ex just exploitation, it was the recruitment of children as child soldiers during the, during the troubles, and and yet that has somehow become glorified rather than and condemned. in some cases the continued recruitment of children, um, either as child soldiers or as criminal actors. So um, the role of children, the impact of children. I, I talk a lot about Frere McClements and Joe Duffy's book Children in Troubles, which is it just you just understand the impact that children were affected by the troubles those children are now adults so it is about um looking back and and understanding how our children how today's adults as children experience that conflict but also what that has meant for today's children so it is about um being able to talk about northern ireland's past um in a way that helps its present uh, young people talk a lot about stop going on about the past uh, we want to look ahead and that's absolutely right we need to look ahead but to quote David Irvine you can only look ahead if you understand what went behind you I have to misquote David Irvine actually but you know what I mean so we we, we don't talk enough about what happened to young people um, except around the dinner table or in the pub over a pint where where, where I hear stories from from my husband and his generation about what it was like to be growing up in the troubles and, but those stories are so powerful, are so powerful, and, and we need we need to hear them as well. And and both of us, I think, could recommend the the book by Freya and Joe, Children of Troubles, Absolutely. which which um, provides a narrative of not only children as passive victims, but also as participants, as child soldiers, some of whom blew themselves up with bombs when they were young teenagers. But it, it and 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 um, the devastation that was left by their passing that is still felt today. But the, the joy of, uh, of that narrative is it celebrates their lives. You, you, you got to know that, I mean, the essays in between are, are absolutely uh, uh, amazing, 
but the wee vignettes on every single child's life it's it celebrates their life and and helps you um feel a, a smidge of the pain that their family their families continue to feel to this day uh, bearing in mind that the first child died in 1969 so yeah yeah absolutely we must never brush under the carpet what happened to our children during the conflict and what's happening to our children now as a result of it cool thank you very much indeed that's very very positive thank you very much thank Thanks. you Okay, that was the conversation with Kula there. Really, really interesting, Paul, as I was saying just before. I really liked that she was talking about schools, not as places of simply academic achievement, but places where we should be producing well-rounded individuals who feel happy and expressing themselves. That's what education should be about. That's right, and it is really frustrating that actually too much of school is about getting children through exams rather than helping them to develop as individuals to be rounded individuals. Yeah. And coming from Kula and her, her, her recent comments, particularly around the transfer test, I think it comes as no surprise where she, she talks about the fact that she's not a fan of it. And she also talks about how where you're born might determine how well you get on in your academic career. These things are just crazy, aren't they, Paul? Well, absolutely. I mean, I'm certainly not a fan of the, the transfer test as someone who failed my 11 plus a long, long time ago. I mean, it does feel uh, not just an arbitrary system, but because I, I'm not, I can understand why people like Peter Robinson have said over the years that uh, the, the transfer test, the old 11 plus, gives people from a deprived background the opportunity to get to grammar school and advance. Because I think at his time, when he got through the system. It did. But what's happened over the years is that parents pay for additional schooling. Not all schools help to get through the 11 plus, some do. And so it's not, an, it's not a level playing field. It's an advantage that people, uh, the children whose families come from more affluent backgrounds, they have the advantage. And that really does feel very unfair. Yeah, uh, and she mentioned Megan, the children feel like failures at 11 years of age, just can't be healthy for any society. Um, she also talked, and you were questioning her about young men, particularly young men from working class areas, and, and how they are influenced and the need for positive influence and role models in their lives as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's important that, you know, to, to reflect on the fact that these series of podcasts is following on from previous podcasts, our previous series of conversations, Gerard. Mm. And, and one of the points that's being made is that really there's a lack of good uh, examples, uh, good influences in some communities where, if you like, the role model can be a paramilitary leader rather than someone who's come from a poor background and done well in society in, in the traditional ways of doing well in society. And I, I also quite took from what Kuda was saying is that, you know, in a sense, we should stop talking about paramilitaries. We should recognize that they're criminal gangs involved in criminality. And just because they claim to have some sort of political affiliation doesn't mean we should give them the credibility of recognizing that. I mean, they are, you know, to a large extent, they are drug gangs. Mm. Yeah. And touching on the troubles and paramilitaries, Kula says it's really important to place young people within that conversation because it's their future too. They have been uh, affected by the past. 
maybe not as directly as the generation before them, but they see the impact of it, you, you know, and she's saying we need to make politics relevant to young people, maybe lower the voter age, get them more engaged and, and the conversation because it's their future that's being decided here. And this touches on a point we we point uh, we talked about a bit earlier, Jared, about the idea that you use school to help people develop mm. as individuals. And part of that is to understand the psychology of society in which they are. And actually, for many young people, they need to understand why their parents are the people they were, you know, because of the impact either directly or even perhaps the grandparents' experience of the troubles, how that affects. I mean, I know personally... My grandfather fought in the First World War, and that had significant impacts on my family relationships. And I'm sure that children whose parents and grandparents experienced the troubles, it must be very influential for their family experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, a really interesting conversation, Michael. I'm sure we're going to come back and talk to her again at some stage in the future too. But thanks, Paul, for taking the time to meet with her. Um, and thanks to Kula, obviously, for taking the time to meet with you. And so that's it for this episode. Um, thanks to everyone who's supported. Thanks to the funders, the Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland. And remember to subscribe and share and like and all the rest. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.